for the week of February 21st, 2021. This is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as all the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. Today, we continue our Clone Wars and Rebels rewatch by discussing Season 1, Episode 16 of The Clone Wars and Season 1, Episode 15 of Rebels, starting with The Clone Wars, The Hidden Enemy. And in it, Separatists overwhelm the planet Christophus, causing the planet's leaders to seek assistance from the Jedi. John, what did you think of this episode? Uh, fun. Uh, good to see Asajj Ventress back and fun to be able to kind of have our first glimpse of clone culture mm-hmm. uh, and, and how maybe not everyone is completely on board with being effectively a human slave. So uh, more, more fun themes being developed by the Clone Wars. And uh, I, I got to say, I enjoyed this episode. And what you said right there just kind of embodies this Jedi fortune cookie, (laughs) which is truth enlightens the mind, but won't always bring happiness to your heart. Yes. Sometimes it's good to be pleasantly ignorant. And this is one of those things where the separatists are overwhelming this planet because they understand all the attack strategies. They're they're one step of the droids are one step ahead of really the Jedi. And this is when, of course, when Obi-Wan gets there he's like okay there's only one way that the droids are you know this smart and that's that someone on the inside is actually leaking information um and this really explores like you said kind of maybe not everyone's on board with this whole thing and maybe there are some uh defective approaches and this is something that was very much discussed for the last you know three years after revenge of the Sith, where there's kind of this no star Wars content and fans are kind of debating, you know, well, actually the Republic seems pretty, uh, pretty messed up because they essentially just went and created these organic beings to be their slaves that could actually die and then treat them as such when the separatists are using droids, no one's dying from, from their casualties. And so something that we get to explore in this episode and it's a lot of fun (laughs) yes uh yes it was so that was a a fun little thing to again blur the lines of you know what's acceptable in war and when do the good guys become the bad guys and when is the the cause too compromising which is ultimately the the big theme that uh ends up bringing down the jedi is how much will you abandon your ideals Mm -hmm. uh in the moment for what seems good uh, how long until you kind of lose yourself in it? And uh, yeah, this is just another indication that the the Republic, a- as much as you know it it had noble ideals, and uh, you know the Jedi obviously embodied that. There's still a, a lot of interesting things that happen in war that just make you question who the good guys are sometimes. Uh, so we do get a little bit of that, and it's a lot of fun. And along with that, we get some fun lightsaber action. So you know there there's a lot of like crowd pleasing moments in this. It's not a really weighty episode, but still it, it does give you some things to chew on. And, uh, I liked it. I think it was a, a good balance between just sort of like the, 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 the subterfuge, like we got to figure out who the mole is like that. That's, that's fun too. And you know, the interrogation scene of trying to figure out who's got to tell and why is this person nervous? Like there's some tension there. And, uh, it's just, it's just another kind of, uh, episode that I like to see. It doesn't always have to be, here's the world that 
the battle's going on and we're just going to kind of leap into that and whatever happens happens in this case all of that is really just a backdrop for a more internal struggle and that's that's kind of fun too and the clone wars does something that of course we get some level of humanization of the clones in episodes mm-hmm. two and three, but really the Clone Wars really establishes kind of that, you know, even though they're clones, they still have their own uh, thinking to the point where there are these right. little Easter eggs. And you talked about this from the very first episode we reviewed of the Clone Wars, where it's like, you know, these guys have posters on their walls and they, <laughs> right. and, and we see that, of course, in this episode in the, in their, you know, living chambers, there are posters. They're listening to the radio. They're eating food. Um, they're enjoying a conversation with one another. And yet one of them is leaking this information to Asajj Ventress herself, which is kind of this, this nice little, uh, meeting between the the two Jedi and Asajj Ventress. Yeah, it, obviously there's the plot that we need to go through, but to your first point, this show does a good job of building on what's hinted at in the movies. Like, you know, Obi-Wan refers to Commander Cody at one point. And mm-hmm. so it just gets you thinking, wait a minute, like wouldn't these guys just kind of have a call sign? Like they're not really real people. They're just clones. So like, why would they give themselves names? And like, mm-hmm is there more going on with it? And and it's just, it's a very subtle thing in the movies, but then in the show, you know, they each cut their hair in a unique way. It's like deep down, even though they're clones, you can't suppress humanity. Like we all want to be our own individual. And even if they all share the same DNA, there's just something about the spark of life that blossoms into its own unique thing, no matter how much of a carbon copy you are. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like they're, they're, saying that that that's true of the clones and that's where this moral dilemma comes from is you can't write them off as these you know weird biological automatons they are showing you at every turn that they're they're grasping at being more than just clones that they they want to be individuals but they've also been kind of like genetically hardwired to be loyal to their cause and to be patriotic and to be you know fighters and and soldiers and part of the hierarchy first and so there there is an interesting dichotomy there and this is one of the first episodes that attempts to explore that and it kind of opens this this door to like wondering how Asaz Ventress was able to deceive one of these mm-hmm. um clones and how she seduce them yeah and and it's one of those things to where you would think this is very similar to, you know, the the Nazi Germany approach where they're kind of dropping these pamphlets from planes on these minority mm. soldiers fighting for the U.S. <laughs> and it's basically like, what are you guys doing? Like, you're going to get back home and things aren't going to be the same. What are you really fighting for? And it's one of those things to where you have these, uh, like you said, these clones that are they are their own person to the point and like you said with the different hairstyles rex has buzzed his hair but the hair that he has he's dyed blonde and it's one (laughs) of those things to where we get these very personal things to these soldiers and you have uh of course the number one thing that they're focused on is that they are brothers to one another and this is kind of a theme that's announced throughout this episode where you know when rex is the one who's like you know I I have to go against my gut instinct because this signal has only come from one of us. It's come from here and it, there's only brothers here, which means it was in fact, one of our brothers right. that has done this and who is really the bad guy here, right? Like this is one of those things to where uh, this is someone who is waking up and is realizing like, you know, I was created for this one purpose and I didn't have a say in it. And mm-hmm. if I tried leaving, I would be marked as defective. I wouldn't be allowed to leave. And if I, right. And if I did this, I'd be marked as effective. So he's just kind of like, you know what? Maybe the Republic aren't as good as we've been led on that they are. Yeah, there's nothing worse than 
realizing that you're in chains, you Mm -hmm. know, like when you kind of go along to get along and you just kind of let life play out the way it's going to play out, you never really see the things that shackle you. And so most of these clones, they're just going with their nature. You know, we we have a, uh, a biological imperative to be loyal fighters and that's, that's deep in us. So we're just going to go with that because that's the easy thing. But when you become disenfranchised and, and disenchanted and demoralized and you begin to ask the the bigger questions, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? What's the meaning of life? Um, all of a sudden you begin to realize that, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of things that maybe aren't right in the world. And if someone comes along that can manipulate that and use that as a, as a way to, uh, well, just exchange your one set of chains for another set of chains well bad things can happen and that's what happened with asajj ventress like he says you know she offered me money but so much more um it makes you wonder if there isn't an even more interesting episode of uh slick's seduction by asajj ventress and uh, i think that's an episode that i would have enjoyed seeing (laughs) but uh nonetheless it's implied how that went down but i just i think that there's probably probably a story there Mm -hmm. and once again season one establishes this character in Asajj Ventress that before was just kind of this this little note in the dictionary of uh, episode three which is like oh that eye on Anakin Scar was caused by Asajj Ventress and we see her of course in this episode dueling our two um, Jedi that we've seen do it a number of times and she's holding her own ground the same way that you know in many ways Dooku was holding his own and she's you know, kind of just laughing in their faces like, you know, yeah, I knew you guys were going to be here. He told me right. when you were leaving and he's back there and he's causing his own uh, mayhem over there. And uh, this is this just proves that um, that nothing is safe here in the galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. You, it, it's hard for the Jedi, even though they're not going to show it, to feel a little dumb in the moment, realizing they got played, that mm-hmm. all she was doing was pulling them away so that they could blow up the the facility uh, and they walked right into it. And as much as Obi-Wan's going to be glib and like, thank her for her hospitality. They kind of know they got duped on this one. It puts them in a very bad situation. And I actually have a question about that because something just came to mind and I'm not sure if I'm remembering it correctly, but isn't Christophsis where we pick up the clone wars in the feature length premiere? Uh, I think so. So I, I, I could be wrong, but if that's the case, then I think this episode serves as a prequel and maybe it's why the separatists got such a, a stranglehold on that planet mm-hmm. because they kind of backed the the Republic into a corner. And I, we could be talking out our butts right now because I don't remember off the top of my head if it, it was, but it seems to me, I think maybe it was. So maybe if we check our timeline and see where this fits, maybe this does sit right before the premiere and that would explain why Ahsoka Tano is nowhere to be found because mm-hmm. she kind of shows up at the end of that opening battle. Yeah, I mean, that would definitely make a, a lot of sense. Yeah, the first appearance was, in fact, in the Clone Wars film. So, yeah. Okay, I mean, so I, I wasn't just imagining that wrong. No, yeah, that is completely true. And, uh, yeah, so I'll have to look at the kind of chronological um, here in the, in the Clone Wars, how they featured these episodes. But that would make yeah. so much sense. And then this also, like you said, explains so much that was... Um, uh, that had us wondering, which is what this mm. show does so well, is that it, <laughs> it explores those type of themes where it's like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense as to why this occurred in this film. Yeah. 
it's context. Yeah, it, it helps us to understand where they were at, where we join our heroes during the the premiere. Um, so yeah, a little bit more fun that they're able to do some world building that way. Um, a lot to enjoy in this episode. In in hindsight, we've had, you know, you're not even gonna have to ask. So I'm gonna give my closing thoughts right now. Um, my big takeaway after this episode and after the last few that we've covered is, I remember when Clone Wars came out. By about season four, everyone had taken in enough of the clone wars to be able to kind of sum up the series and Mm -hmm. how it got off to kind of a rocky start and when it got good and the general consensus was that somewhere like mid-season two is kind of when it caught its stride and i don't think that's a bad analysis because the show really gets good in a couple seasons but during this rewatch and just taking the time to think about the themes and maybe looking at it as a little bit more older and measured and not needing it to be a show that speaks to me on my terms, but just kind of looking at it as what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. I think this show was a lot more competent, a lot more sure-footed and a lot better than maybe we gave it credit for even by about here we are, you know, mm-hmm. just rounding out the the first half of season one. I, I think, <laughs> I think the show is a little bit more impressive on rewatch than maybe the first time through when you don't know what to expect. Absolutely. And of course, the first whenever this show, of course, was super uh, the initial release, it was on, you know, of course, these uh, cartoon channels and you have mostly um, youth watching them. And then Mm -hmm. I would say, like you said, once people go back and kind of rewatch them and they start picking up on a lot of these themes, you start realizing just within the themes itself. That has been a joy of mine is just kind of identifying the various themes in the show itself. Um, has really made me enjoy it when before I was a little uh, confused about it. Like, okay, why are we picking up so far in the future when the last episode had uh, kind of a stinger in it and left me mm-hmm. questioning what's going to come next? Like, do I have to wait seven seasons to get the next <laughs> portion of it? Right. Um, so just the themes have been fun in this rewatch for me. Very true. Well, shall we dive into Rebels Season 1, Episode 15? I think we should. Rebel Season 1, Episode 15, Fire Across the Galaxy. The crew of the Ghosts continue their efforts in rescuing Kanan as he is being transported to Mustafar. John, what did you think of this episode of Rebels? I love this episode. I loved everything about this episode. Not only do we get some serious leveling up at the end and, you know, the, the big reveals for the season to give you some payoff before they give you a big cliffhanger. So not only did they, they know exactly how to leave us baited for season two this is just a really rousing adventure with a lot of star warsy moments like landing your ship on the side of a star destroyer because how else are you gonna evade scanners and whatnot um and some fun lightsaber action yeah just so much going on but a, a very clear through line like you understand each step that everyone takes and how it all comes together at the end. Like there's nothing sloppy about it. Mm -hmm. It's just a really well kind of laid out caper. And uh, just the fact that it ends on such a high note uh, really makes this one a, a real winner of a finale. Yeah. And this is something that right from the beginning, I was already pleased where the, now (laughs) these stormtroopers are kind of aware of the ghosts. They know that they're here causing issues to the point that they have given Sabine the nickname of the artist, which of course is, is the ultimate fitting nickname here. Um, and she's just causing a whole bunch of, uh, mayhem with these stormtroopers and just shows the effectiveness of Mandalorians. Probably one of the uh, the first times we get to see the the true effectiveness of a Mandalorian. Uh, it, <laughs> right. it has been uh, this episode was fun right from the beginning. 
yeah, it's it's fun because obviously she's done this before. Mm-hmm. The the stormtroopers even know, like, even though in the moment they're too dumb to figure out what's going on until they have a second to stop and, and really think about it, they know they're being distracted. They know they're being duped and she's just toying with them. And they even know how this ends, that they're going to turn around and there's going to be thermal detonators on every one of their TIE fighters. We've seen this play out before and they even say like, oh, not again. Like, we fell for this again. Just a fun, lighthearted little way to to get into our episode that is a nice callback to how... How there was a, a bit of like whimsy and lightheartedness to their antics earlier in the season, but as the season's gone on, this kind of silliness has given way to much higher stakes. Mm-hmm. Like in the last episode, we watched Kanan get tortured. You know, like it's right. it, it's just an interesting way to contrast where they started the season and where we know we're ending the season. And I think that's you know that that's a fitting contrast to draw here right at the outset. And of course, this episode kind of starts for the first few minutes, like you said, have these kind of comedic things to where when they realize, oh, okay, we we now know how we're going to have to get to Kanan. We um, have sort of located him, but we're going to need um, a, you know, of course, to get on a tie to send a signal to the mm-hmm. other ships that we're, of course, docking in this this other ship. And it's just kind of funny where they bring up like, oh, you know how we we're supposed to destroy that tie fighter. Well, we didn't. And then when they right. get there, Sabine has her own thing that she was hiding from them. And it's like, well, you know how I was just supposed to like help you guys hide it? Well, I didn't. I, I did my thing. And she, of course, paints this TIE fighter, um, fulfilling that that artist name. Yeah. I like how when the TIE fighter actually ends up in the, the bay on the Star Destroyer that the, the stormtroopers look at it and say, that's not regulation. Yep. I kind of like it. <laughs> Again, you would think that they would be smart enough to realize that, oh, this is the, the, an immediate indication that something's very wrong and I need to push a button somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead they're just kind of enraptured with her artwork. And I just, again, these, these little moments, it seems like Sabine gets all the fun comedic moments in this particular episode, but yeah, we're off to a very good start here. And of course, we get this return to Mustafar. So immediately, mm-hmm. like the next scene, it cuts to, oh, now we're in a very serious tone here where this planet has now become, you know, this Guantanamo Bay of sorts for the Jedi. Like this is where we go. We interrogate them if they don't have any information mm-hmm. that they can give us or when they run out of information, they're just, uh, their fates are decided here. And they're, this is a place that Jedi go to die. And this scene also opens up with the Grand Inquisitor trying to, elicit an emotional response from Kanan and kind of this classic way like oh what ha- where's your master again How- what happened to her mm-hmm. what happened to um all of this don't don't you think that's going to end the same way for your little your little family if you keep going down this path and just really trying to do what these inquisitors were hinted at their whole goal whenever we were first introduced to inquisitors here right so if you're going to interrogate someone and the like good cop, bad cop approach hasn't worked. Like you, you, you can't draw them out by being their friend. Not mm-hmm. that any dark side baddie would ever attempt that particular path. The next option is you demoralize them and you, you basically, you know, strip them down of, of any will or confidence or, or any kind of defiance they might have left. And just, yeah, you just kind of psychologically tear them down to the point where they've just lost sight of whatever it is that they're, you know, trying to protect and you try and get your information that way. And that's kind of what we're seeing in a very, you know, lighthearted kid friendly way here is 
the lightning and uh, you know, the electric shocks and everything that didn't get to you. But if I can just kind of see into your core and figure out what your, your true fear is and your true weakness and what's your attachment, then I can play on that. And that's, that's what he's trying to suss out in the scene. And obviously at the end of the episode, Kanan makes it very clear that mm-hmm. at a certain point, there's nothing that the inquisitor is going to be able to have. That's going to throw him off kilter, but it's not for lack of trying. So um, this is nice because it's setting the stage for a confrontation that is going to have some emotional stakes. Was the inquisitor able to throw him off and instill some fear and doubt in him? That's going to help him get the upper hand in a, in a showdown later on. Well, that's yet to be seen, but mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, the, the question's been raised and uh, it's fun to see how that pays off. And looking at, you know, in hindsight at this all, like the Inquisitor does not want to approach a master without any, you know, progress. Like it would be uh, detrimental right. for the Inquisitor to, um, you know, to arrive on Mustafar and then still not get anything from him. Then when his master calls up and says, hey, where are we on this project? He says, you know, um, we're not any closer than we were when we talked last. I mean, then that we of course get the the ultimate reveal on how just uh, terrified the Grand Inquisitor is of this of this master here at the end here. Right. But there are a couple of little details once the crew you know infiltrates this base and they're able to get through Ezra. Um, it's it's something that was so little, but I just was so pleased by it. Um, Ezra, when he cuts through the wall of this of the mm-hmm. ship, he when he starts climbing through, he touches you know the hot metal that he just sliced through <laughs> and shakes his hand like ow i just burnt myself and it's right. just one of those little details where it's like oh yeah that's still hot and then also Ezra's not as used to using you know a lightsaber <laughs> so it was obviously a nerdy thing that probably feloni said hey we got to throw in there um but yeah. i loved it yeah it was a fun like padawan moment <laughs> like you said yeah you're still getting used to the uh, power of your your blade like sure it makes sense that i can cut a hole in things but you forget that there's a tangible real world shorthand that you still need to develop when using your lightsaber yeah fun little moment but obviously you know once they get in the ship that's where the ship really hits the fan so to speak um there's one thing that i wanted to bring up though and this is a, a technical nerdy thing but i wanted to know if if you caught it as well so earlier in the episode there's a um like a shuttle Tiderian type craft that docks on a imperial cruiser which we've seen in live action now on the mandalorian because moff gideon had an imperial cruiser that i think is basically the same model that we see at the beginning of this episode and when that happens the imperial cruiser docks in the front the same as we saw on the mandalorian where they come in hot right they're being chased by slave one so you know, they fold up the Tidarian wings and they fly right into the hangar bay where the, the TIE fighters launch from. Mm. But on this one, the shuttle Tidarian is so big that it has to basically like hang dock. Like it has to be docked to the outside of the ship and only the, um, like the front door is inside the ship for Mm. loading and unloading. So my question is, and this is nerdy and I, I'm sure there's only three members of our audience that cares about this kind of minutia, but did they fudge the scale of the cruiser for the Mandalorian? Or are we to assume that the one on the Mandalorian is a different one that's bigger or is there some continuity issue here? Did you pick up on that at all? Um, so the, the first thing I picked up on was that this was the same type of, of cruiser. Yeah. So that was, that was my immediate like, Oh, Hey, yeah, we've seen this before. Um, right. I didn't catch those other things like you were saying, 
But um, now looking at it and seeing it in real time, I'm assuming that this would be something that the scale was just a different a, a different scale for Moff Gideon's ship in order to you know whatever power the dark troopers whatever it was that Moff Gideon was getting at. But okay. I also so think he's it got shows, a, he's got the the super version, the bulk yeah. cruiser version of the cruiser. We're gonna we're gonna assume there's a different model that's 1.5 times the size, the same as the star destroyers in uh, Rise of Skywalker, mm-hmm. like 1.5 times the size of regular ones. Yeah, even though they look exactly the same. And and of course it's Moff Gideon. <laughs> of course you'd want a bigger boat. Sure. Yeah, no, you know what? I can I can buy that. I can I can let this this particular little uh niggle of continuity go. Yes, Moff Gideon, he wants the biggest boat they'll give him. Yeah. I I can dig that. Okay, moving on. Um let's <laughs> let's get back on track cuz uh yeah, I don't think we need to go any deeper on that. And uh, this episode is kind of they were playing at it in the the episode before where they're kind of showing everyone doing their own thing and bringing everything to the table once right. again and this yep. is of course Ezra climbing through the vents which is where he we first met Ezra mm-hmm. in this series um this is this helps him get Kanan out um and I love that that Chopper is aware enough to be like uh, I know my crew's good but maybe I should contact this fulcrum <laughs> lady and and get some extra help um because our heroes do need uh some extra help in this episode yes now this is a uh plucky well, he's not an R2 unit, but you know, like a plucky astromech doing what all good astromechs do, which is be a little more clever than you would assume a bucket of bolts could be. This is an R2 moment of R2 has the big picture. He knows the score and he, he just, he knows how to like, he's got street smarts. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, they're, they're infusing that into chopper as well. And obviously, you know, no good finale if, if we can't level up the good guys and the bad guys at the same time. So, uh, it's great that we get to see basically the scope of the, the true rebel Alliance, uh, like five years out from the battle of Yavin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, there's some satisfaction when the cavalry shows up there. Yeah. So good on chopper. Uh, as much as Chopper can be a, a little jerk and uh, he's <laughs> he has a tendency to like to to murder competing droids um, when he has his moments, he really comes through. Yeah. And this, of course, we have to see why they needed the the initial help. We kind of saw that the, you know, they're in this vast, uh, you know, right outside the atmosphere of Mustafar. And there's all these other mm-hmm. ships that are there. And of course, he's ahead of that. But then not long after the rescue is made and Kanan and Ezra get out, the Grand Inquisitor is waiting for them. And this is where uh, just a lot of fun little details here where Kanan, of course, we get a lot of stuff happening here. And, but the once Ezra falls and he, or before that, even um, Kanan grabs this, this, this lightsaber from his Padawan and starts using the blaster combo so effectively like, Oh, (laughs) I'm going to approach them while blasting him. And then that'll help me in this actual duel. And so just a lot of fun things happening in this duel between the grand inquisitor, Ezra and um, Kanan, which there's a lot to break down here, but my overall takeaway of it is that this was a fun lightsaber duel. The only one that I can think was better and animation was the season seven of the Clone Wars Ahsoka Mall duel. Sure. Well, we have a, yeah, we have a few that as we go through the seasons, we'll be in contention. I mean, there's uh, Ahsoka might come across, mm-hmm. you know, her former master at some point in, in a season or two as well. Um, so like, <laughs> I, I don't want to presume that 
before we've rewatched everything there is to rewatch that we can make that call. But this was good. And the reason is there's some emotional stakes. Kanan had to learn something about himself and recognize where the inquisitor was finding weakness in him too. And he needed to make sure that he steeled himself against that. So even when Ezra falls, he needs to make sure that kind of in the same way that Hera has to uh, dignify the sacrifice in a way by carrying on, mm-hmm. he does the same thing and, and he doesn't let them that distract him or um, get him so erratic and fearful that he loses his footing kind of a thing against the Inquisitor. So lightsaber battles where there's emotional stakes and where everything hangs on the emotional fortitude of the hero. Those are the ones that resonate that we remember. And that's why we remember this one. And it's in contention for, you know, potentially a top lightsaber duel. It's because you see where Kanan's at and you recognize that he had to muster something within himself to win the day and, and be smart about the situation. And that's just more fun than just kind of like dumb action. Mm Mm-hmm. And it also shows how Kanan is being a true Jedi, right? Like he's not mm-hmm. using anger. He's he's right. trying to let he's not necessarily letting go of his attachments, but he's letting go of what he's already lost. And so at this point, he's just coping with the fact, OK, I lost Ezra. I still got to uh, take this approach and I'm not going to take the, you know, the dark side approach of beating this uh, Grand Inquisitor. But the the thing that gets me, this is, of course, on a animated series on Disney XD where when Kanan, you know, destroys the Inquisitor's lightsaber, the blast causes the, the Inquisitor to, you know, fall and hold on to the ledge. And mm-hmm. Kanan is, you know, essentially, he's not going to necessarily execute him right there. And this is when the Inquisitor makes this <laughs> comment where, oh, yeah, you don't understand. There's something far more frightening to come. And he falls back <laughs> and kind of sacrifices right. himself so that he doesn't have to deal with, the ultimate frightening, which is far more frightening than to him is death, which we see in the the last reveal of this episode. Yeah. So the Inquisitor knows he's already dead because mm-hmm. he's lost. And if he fails, then it doesn't matter whether he he goes out on his own terms now or he goes out at the, you know, a a black gloved hand <laughs> in an hour. Uh one way or another, it's it's curtains for the Inquisitor, which makes it a little more foreboding. And of course we obviously get the reveal of really, you know, what keeps the inquisitor up at night. Um, so yeah, again, just, just a, a lot baked into this episode that really, I think works well in, in a star Wars context. Yeah. And this, of course we have a chopper arriving with the reinforcements. We immediately get mm-hmm. bail or Ghana. Who's like, Hey, I, you know, you guys needed some help. So here's some help. And then uh, we have Ahsoka who is helping out our our crew here and a great character to bring back in rebels one that we uh i think this is really where people because this is that of course at the time we're now in the 2010s and we like you know 2014 2015 when Mm -hmm. this show is airing for the first time and this is where at comic-con feloni's wearing the you know the ahsoka shirts he's he's really playing up this character and so many fans are falling in love with the Soka for the first time here. And it was just kind of right. this, this nice thing. Cause this is a launching point. This is where we get to see the Ahsoka that we're going to live with for, for the rest of, um, for the rest of Canon. Yeah. Yeah. It's, this is Ahsoka who's figured out who she is. And we still didn't really get that in the Clone Wars, even with season seven mm-hmm. kind of bridging that gap a little bit more. 
Uh, this is an Ahsoka that's found her place. She's realized that she can do good in the galaxy without necessarily being a Jedi per se. So yeah, we're obviously there's a lot more story to tell with her and there's no point in going too far down the road with that. Cause we're going to be watching all those episodes in short order, but yeah, this as a season finale, this ticked all the boxes. Mm-hmm. They leveled up their baddies. They leveled up their goodies. They gave us a payoff for the big mystery of the season, which was who was Fulcrum Mm -hmm. and everyone learned a lesson and grew and figured out what they want, you know, out of this situation of, of being rebels. And it just feels like everything's ramping up. Like someone's just kind of turned up the gas on the stove a little bit. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's why we needed to see Ahsoka. It wouldn't have felt as good going into season two, if this was still hanging out there, like, you know, really where do these characters fit in the galaxy and who are their people? Now we have that answer. And now a much bigger adventure can unfold now that they're part of a larger world. And this series is up and running. We get this nice little mm-hmm. uh, stinger on this episode that leads into the next episode. <laughs> but while we are waiting for that, John, where can the people find you? Well, if anyone enjoys Saturday Night Live, I cover that on my other podcast, SNL After Party, which you can find on YouTube or in all of your podcast apps of choice. We cover all new episodes, do a sketch by sketch review. I like to think I have some fun insights on the show that might be of interest to anyone that loves that comedy institution. And if you want to check it out, go to SNL podcast or uh, find us, like I said, on YouTube or in any podcast app. And you can keep up with this show throughout the week on Twitter at Star Wars TV talk and by emailing us at hello at Star Wars TV talk.com. You can find the rest of our episodes online at starwarstvtalk.com and by searching for Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to subscribe. You can find the TV Talk Network at tvtalk.fm. Thank you so much for listening and may the force be with you always.